We're in this series, Faith Comes by Hearing and Hearing by the Word of God. And let me remind you of this. You'll be reminded again, I promise you. As those of us who are in Christ read and study the Word of God, we have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit who inspired that Word living in us. Meaning that, and we're going to talk about this morning how to study the Bible, but meaning that as I'm studying the Scripture, then what I can absolutely know is this. The Holy Spirit will help me understand it. How many times have you read the Bible and say, I just don't understand it? And we all have, if we're being honest. But at the same time, we have this privilege of talking to the author who's living in us and helping us to understand what the Word of God is saying. So, faith comes by hearing. Meaning that as we spend the time that God has for us in the Word of God, then our faith will grow. Some illustrations. Early 1800s, there's a knock on the door of an orphanage. The director of that orphanage is a guy named George Mueller. The man at the door is a local baker. George Mueller answers the door. The baker says, the Lord has had me up all night baking bread for your orphans. Here it is. And they bring it in. Before they can even begin to eat the bread, there's a knock on the door. This time, the milkman. And he says, I was driving by your orphanage and my vehicle broke down. And I don't want my milk to spoil. Can I give it to your orphans? Now that's pretty monumental. But here's the other part of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. When the orphans were gotten up that morning and brought in to dine, several hundred of them, in that time, the plates were always covered And so when the orphans sat down for breakfast and they prayed as they were instructed to do, thanking God for their breakfast, they had no idea there was nothing under the cover on their plate until God sent the baker and the milkman to supply. Faith comes by hearing. George Mueller was an amazing man of God. When I first met Dr. M.A. Thomas back in 1985, I'd read George Mueller's stories, his biography, and the books about him. I was always so impressed. And then M.A. Thomas comes along, who is a man in my time doing the very same thing. And he said, and George Mueller is one of my heroes. He's one that I look to that God has used to help and encourage me when we're needing food for our orphans. The point of the story is that there are things in our lives and times in our lives when we so desperately have needs and our faith will grow. If there's never a time for your faith to grow, your faith's not going to grow. But the basis of growing that faith is on the Word of God. Last week, I shared with you that we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of being in this building. And how a couple years ago, during the pandemic, we were to pay it off. I mentioned this previously, but let me do it again. My redundancy has a purpose. 
Not long after we moved in this building, we don't know what happened. But the money dried up. We couldn't even make payroll. Some of us were carrying payroll checks around with us that we couldn't cash because there was no money to cover it. People like my family and others were taking savings money and giving it to the church in addition to tithes and offerings because we knew payroll was not being met. Now the question was, why didn't you announce that? I didn't think it was what God wants to do. That's not being arrogant. It's not being pride. I just, just, there's something here, God, you want to do. So a friend of mine, some of you know him, Flint McLaughlin, was here visiting from Florida. And Kevin was our administrator, and he and Flint and I are meeting. And we're telling Flint all of our woes, financial woes. And I said, came out of my mouth, what we need is more money. And Flint responded, no, you don't. You ever want to punch one of your friends? I mean, not punch, but you know, just, you know, gib slap him or something. And I'm thinking, you don't live here. Yes, we do. And then he went on to say, what you need is more faith. I knew he had me there. <laughs> it's time to shut up, go back to the prayer closet. And again, I can't tell you all that God did because I don't know all that God did. But something happened. As we went back saying, okay, God, we don't understand it. We don't get it all. We don't know it all. But we do know this. If you don't come through, we're sunk. And guess what? God came through. And here we are, almost 20 years later, enjoying the blessings. Please remember, all this is built on the Word of God. It isn't we just go out here random and say, oh God, just give us this, give us that. No, we take the time to understand because the scripture says that when we ask, we ask knowing what his will is. That means we spent time with him. Now we're going to get into James in just a moment about why we can mess it up or how we can mess it up and how we do mess it up. But before that, let me show you this. Somebody said something to me this week and in Proverbs it says, never assume. And I realized I'm making an assumption. I'm assuming that the people who listen to me on Sunday when I'm up here speaking, that they know how to study the Bible. And the truth is, that may not be the case. So let's look at it. The first aspect of studying the Bible is what? Observation. I take the Bible or my device, whatever it is, however I get the scripture into my life, and I read it, and I'm observing it. Now, we're going to do more of this in the next week or so about how this works, but I want you to think, first of all, if I don't have observation, I got what? Zip. Zero. Nada. I first have to read it. And by the way, please do this, or maybe I should say don't do this. Do not wait till Sunday for one of us to get up here and read the scripture to you. Read the scripture yourself. You say, but I might misunderstand it. And yes, you might. But let me tell you what, when we're trusting and relying upon the Holy Spirit, we'll be amazed how God clarifies the scripture to us. If we're willing to let him do it his way. Because again, let me give you something else about scripture. I didn't put the words up. There are two forms 
oh, two ways of looking at Scripture. One is eisegeting the Scripture, meaning that I already have my preconceived ideas. I know what I believe. I don't really care what this says because I'm going to keep on believing what I believe no matter what I read here. Sadly, that's true for a lot of folks. And so all I'm doing is reading it to try and prove my point. Exegeting the scriptures when I read it with an open heart, an open spirit, and an open mind. And I'm saying, okay, God, speak to me. What is it you have to say? What is it you want me to see? And in this observation period, we're taking the time. And it is so dangerous to take a verse or verses out of context. And in doing so, we can mess it up and muck it up really, really badly. That's not the design that God has for us, but to take the time prayerfully over the Word of God and see the context of it. We're going to talk, as I said, more about that in the future. But just to kind of give you an overview today, this is how this works. Take the time. If you don't read it, you won't know it. And I can't read it for you. I can read some of it. Others who are up for speaking can read some of it. I listen to a lot of scripture now, so I have people reading it to me, but I'm doing that with the understanding. Okay, God, what I got to tell you, <laughs> the other morning I was in Genesis, just listening to the scripture, and all the particular aspects of God's design for the tabernacle. I'm like, whoa, you're kind of picky, aren't you, God? Well, guess what? He hasn't changed. He still wants his way, his will in our lives. But he does that with us having free will. So we're not his slave. We're actually learning and growing in the process. And all of this is what? Faith comes by hearing. So as I observe the scripture, as I read the scripture, as I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, then I can begin to get those truths into my lives and make into my life that makes a difference. And this is crucial. And then there's interpretation. What does it mean? What does this scripture mean? How do I come to a correct interpretation? I don't think everybody in the room is a Greek or Hebrew scholar. I'm not. You may be. If you are, that's fine. Let me know. But interpreting it. Interpreting it means what, do, what, do the, what are the meanings of the words that are there? And how, how is it that as I observe it, God is opening for me an understanding. So the interpretation is what? Preparing me for the application. I read it. I study it. I come to an understanding and the interpretation of it and then the application. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this America that we live in, this country that I believe, and I know you can read different histories and different things about how this country was founded. And yes, there are some conflicts. I get that. But I do believe this country, this nation was founded on biblical principles. And we have long since left those principles. And we are paying the price right now. We're paying it on a national level and a local level and a personal level. Because right now, our marriages and families are under attack. They are. Our community is under attack. It is. 
And guess what? We can sit around and moan and groan and fuss and puke all everybody if we, over everybody if we want to. Or we can do what God intends us to do as you see us walk through the scripture today and be the ones who stand up, stand for truth, do what's right. And here's the key to all of it. As we truly see God growing our faith through the word that he has given to us, then we will find ourselves involved at whatever level he chooses to be a help for families and for our community. How many of you right now, I'm just going to, and, and I know that all of you don't know the things that I might know or some of the others might know, but some of this stuff is very public. How many of you are praying for our community right now? I mean, really seriously praying for our community. Our community is in trouble. When there's shootings near the ball fields, when the kids are playing ball, not that anyone was injured, but that... The thought of that. And then the danger that comes from that. I had a parent tell me, my kids don't even want to play ball anymore because they're afraid to go to the ball field. Break this mess off. Go to the ball fields and pray. Go to the sheriff's department and pray. Go to the county buildings, the courthouses, and pray. Go uptown and pray. Be the intercessors that God has called us to be because we're the ones that God has chosen in this time in history, in this location, to accomplish his work, his way. And if we don't do it, who do you think is? I didn't say it was convenient. I'm never asking anybody, particularly females, to put themselves in a place of risk. But all of us should be so heavily involved right now in praying for our community. Driving to those places, those locations, there's something about being on site. And praying for God to intervene and for God to help and God to help us in the process. That's the application of the word. Not just, I'm in my prayer closet. Yes, I start there, but I don't stay there. I got to get out. Let me ask you another question. How many of you pray for your neighbors? Excellent. We have blinds in our house. Every morning, I'm typically the one who opens all the blinds. So as I go around opening the blinds, I'm praying for the neighbors that I can see through those windows. Because I want the will of God in their lives, just like I want the will of God in my life. So the source of our faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If we do not hear it, if we do not read it, if we do not know it, then our faith will never be at the level of a George Mueller or an M.A. Thomas or people like them. This is God speaking to us today. This is God choosing, actually having chosen us before the foundation of the world to live in this time in history and to be located. We've had people come here for years and we would ask, why did you move to Chester? Have no idea. Just felt this is where we're supposed to be. Is that not cool? Is that not God? We've had people say, I was online. We were thinking about moving. I was online and we saw this house. Where's that house? Chester, South Carolina. Where's Chester, South Carolina? Oh, that's where God wants us to move. And they did. 
I remember a lady from North Dakota who became part of our, one of our prayer teams. And I asked her about coming because that's a little bit of a jaunt. And she says, in my prayer time, God said, I want you to move to Chester, South Carolina. She said, I had to go get an atlas. You can tell how far back that was. I had to go get an atlas to look it up and see where the heck it was. And here we are praying, living and praying in this community. This is us. Some of you have had the privilege of being here all your lives. Hallelujah. Celebrate that. God has appointed us to be here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let's look at some of the possible issues that we can be helped with as we spend this time together this morning. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be, what? Quick to hear. Oh my God. Do we not live in a time when there are so many times you just want to say, shut up. Just shut up. Everybody has an opinion. And everybody feels like they have the right to express those opinions. James says, my beloved brethren, be quick to hear. I know it's a simple truth, but God gave you two ears, one mouth. That might tell you something. You should be listening at least twice as much as you're talking. Slow to speak. Now, that doesn't mean slow your words. That's not what they're saying. But because you're listening and you're not being presumptive, because this is how most of us listen. If I'm wrong, talk to me later. Typically, we listen like this. We're listening to what they're saying somewhat because we're already planning our response. Or when it's, have you been to those times where it's a fun time and you get together with friends and people are telling stories? And what's happening in the minds of the other people is they're figuring out how to one-up that story. True? I found myself being guilty of that. I got a lot of stories. I can pretty much one-up about every story. Doesn't make us right. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. And here's the other one. Get this one. Because, see, because we're so presumptive in our listening without really listening... Slow to anger. We get ticked off so fast. We get our feelings hurt so quickly. And boom, we're off. Let's look at what it says. This is the word of God. This is not Steve coming up with some theory or theological or some philosophical teaching. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Did you guys hear that? Did you read that? The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. What does it achieve? In creating a huge mess. That's what it achieves. Doesn't have to be. It's our choice not to. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive yourselves. So I read the word. I see what it says. 
Thou shalt not steal. Well, I'm not really sure what that means. I'm pretty sure that means, you know, just going over the neighbor's fence and taking something. I, I'm, I'm really quite sure that has nothing to do with my filing my taxes or taking things from my employer. Right out of, while I was in college and I was having the privilege to speak at different churches, I was preparing a message from Ephesians, kind of along the same lines. And Sheila and Brownlee had gone somewhere and the little church that, were, that I was preaching at was out in the country. So there I am and I get to that scripture, thou shalt not steal. Or says, scripture actually says, let him who steals, steal no more. It's in Ephesians 4. So I'm breezing past that because, see, I used to be a thief back before Christ, and I'd quit all that. So I'm breezing through, preparing this message, and I'm getting ready to go tell these folks this is how it's supposed to be done based on the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit shows up and said, but you're a thief. I'm not a thief. Yes, you are. I'm living in a mobile home in Charleston. Just got out of the military, going to college. And the Holy Spirit said, well, what's under your trailer? By the way, I lived in a trailer. She lived in a mobile home, just so you know. <laughs> we see these things differently. And I'm racking my brain. What's under my trailer? And then the light came on. There's this huge pan under my trailer. How did it get there and where did it come from? Because you see, I grew up on the farm... And as a young married person in Charleston, I realized all the stuff we used to have, I don't have. And I was determined that year, that Christmas, to have a live Christmas tree. Now, even though it got skewed because Sheila's parents were coming down and her brother for Christmas. And at that time, I was still in the Navy. And we went to this Christmas tree farm. We dug this tree up and we got it home. And that's when I realized, I don't got the stuff my dad had. What am I going to do with it? I got a live Christmas tree, got the root ball on it. What am I going to do with it? And then I spied over the fence behind my neighbor's garage a big pan that he used to to change his oil in. I went over, jumped over the fence, got the pan, cleaned it out, put it in the... Put the Christmas tree in it, and then God has a sense of humor because Castro started sinking ships off the coast of Cuba. And my first Christmas, I spent on the helo deck sunbathing in 110 degrees while my family's home celebrating Christmas because we're put on immediate patrol. So I didn't get to be there for the tree. So I come home, the tree's in the pan, I take it out, and I plant it in the yard, which was the whole purpose. Take the pan, shove it on the trailer. This is like a year and a half later, maybe two years, close to it. And the Holy Spirit's all in my business about this stupid pan. And so I'm sitting there at night all by myself. The Holy Spirit's convicting me that this pan is under my trailer that doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my neighbor, and I need to take it back. And I got to preach on Sunday, so I got to get ready. So I put on all black clothes. Got the pan, jumped over the fence, and put it back where I'd gotten it all that time before. Back over the fence, back preparing the message, go on Sunday, preach it with a clear conscience. 
It's wonderful. Except on Monday, when I'm driving home from school, the Holy Spirit shows up again. He's such a rascal. He says, you don't, you don't get away with this anymore. This is what you used to be before Christ. You don't do this stuff anymore. You've got to go make it right. Well, my neighbor lived around the block. So I'm coming home from school. I drive around the block. I walk up on the neighbor's porch. The music inside is playing quite loudly. A knock on the door. No response. Must be God. I need to knock one more time. Knock on the door. No response. This is the truth. I know when you tell a story and say, now this is the truth, you say, well, what would you tell me before? <laughs> this one's hard for even me to believe. The music that's been playing so loudly, I have not been listening to because I'm trying to get done and get off the porch. As I turn to make my exit and I take my first step off the porch, the music registers and here's what it says. No matter what the devil tells me to do, I'm going to obey God. Can you believe that lyric is in a song and it's being played at that moment in time? Really? I turn back around, I about beat that poor guy's door down. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to make this right. Guy comes to the door, I go, Bleh! you know, I tell him my whole story. I sold your pen, I put it back, yada, yada, yada. He goes, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> I said, your pan behind your shop that you change your oil in, I took it, I used it, I did not return it as I should have, and now I put it back, and God's got me here confessing it. And he looks at me, he goes, you must be talking about my brother. He used to live here. <laughs> I didn't know I had a pan behind the shop. (laughs) When we let the Holy Spirit take the word of God and apply it to our lives, we become doers of the word and not hearers only. For if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, are you here today? Are you a hearer of the word and not a doer? See, again, love my kids, love my grandkids. I can't do this for any of them, and they can't do it for me. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, but once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. And see, for us as children of God, we look at the perfect mirror of the word of God And so often we forget what we truly look like when we walk away. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, this law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I want to be blessed. I do. I want to be blessed in the way that God wants me to be blessed. And so many times in the scripture, it's called conditional sentences. God says, if you'll do this, I'll do this. And here he says, if we will look at it like we should, abide in it as we should, 
being effectual in our doing of his word, we get blessed in what we do. Now, how does that blessing get measured out? That's up to God. Sometimes it's just emotional well-being. Sometimes it's because we're in such tumultuous times. Sometimes it's just the peace of God. Being blessed with all that God is in our lives. And the greatest thing of all is for him blessing us with his presence.